Thanksgiving. How many think Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday? It's my favorite holiday. Better than Christmas, all the other ones, my favorite. Usually because all the kids come together. And now we have the grandkids, they all come together. So we're going to cram 17 or 18 people in our little house and have Thanksgiving with them. And Thanksgiving gives me a chance to to remind myself of what I'm thankful for. Now, I'm not sure I'm always as thankful as I should be. But this helps me keep in track. So the question is, are you truly thankful? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, I should have brought my sword out because when we had sword drills with the kids, the big, the big sword of guilt goddess, I'd bring that sword out and ask everybody to hold their Bible up. And the kids would make the kids bring their Bible, they get points for it. I should make the adults bring their Bible and give you points for bringing your Bible. So hold your Bible up. How many have their Bible on your, you know, okay, on your phone? I'm guilty for that too, on your phone. So, all right. Luke chapter 17. What if one day our projector doesn't work? You have your Bibles? It's there, okay. Luke 17 verse 11 says, and Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, their leprosy disappeared. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, I am healed. He fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So we do a little due diligence, a little background. I think we all know the consequences in the Old Testament of having leprosy. How many know what that is? Leprosy. How does God view leprosy? Leviticus 13 says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, if some of the people notice a swelling or a rash or a shiny patch on their skin that develops into a contagious skin disease, that's leprosy, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons. The priest will then examine the affected area of the person's skin. If the hair in the affected area has turned white and appears to be more than skin deep, then it is a contagious skin disease and the priest must pronounce the ceremony, him ceremonially unclean. In other words, he is cast out. One definition of leprosy in in biblical sense, it says leprosy is a type of sin. Being the worst form of disease, leprosy was fixed upon by God to be the special type of sin and the injunctions regarding it had reference to his typical character. It was one, hereditary. Two, contagious. Three, ever tending to increase. Four, incurable except by the power of God. Five, a shame and disgrace. Number six, rendering one alone in the world. Number seven, deforming, unclean. Eight, separating the soul from God, producing spiritual death, unfitting it forever from heaven in the company of the holy and ensuring its its eternal banishment as polluted and abominable. So these guys had leprosy. 10 men who have been ostracized by everybody. They're living outside the camp. Every other person can't go near them. Their family can't come near them. And according to Jewish law, they had to go around shouting that they were unclean. 
Leviticus 13, verse 45 says, those who suffer from any contagious skin disease must tear their clothing and allow their hair to hang loose. Then as they go from place to place, they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the disease lasts, they will ceremonially be unclean and must live in isolation outside the camp. If you're banished outside the camp, no one's going to come visit you. It's natural that you would want some companionship. So you have 10 guys who have leprosy and they kind of band together like a camaraderie. They want some friendship out there, right? Since they are all ostracized by everybody, you have Jews, you have Samaritans, you have different people in this group, all one common thing, they have leprosy and they can't hang with anybody else. If they had family, they couldn't be with them ever. They were alone together. Trying to give you an understanding of what their life was like. You ever felt that type of aloneness? That you have nothing. You have nobody to go to. You can't be around anyone. Everyone, when they see you, run the other way. Nobody around you who really can care for you because they weren't able to. When you have this unending hardship, these guys still had some kind of faith. Luke 17, 11, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So these guys knew they had to maintain the right distance but it appears that they were kind of waiting for Jesus to show up. Now, they don't know if he's coming, but they're kind of hanging on the edge of the city waiting that possibly Jesus can show up. And what they do, they cried out, Jesus, Master. Now, the word Master is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used by Peter. In Luke 4, 5, or 5, 4, it says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets and catch many fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, we'll try again. The word master literally means chief commander, indicating in both instances, Peter and the 10 lepers knew that Jesus was in command of the fish and he was in command of disease and sickness. They knew that Jesus was the healer and they knew that he could heal them. So they still had faith and they trusted him to help. Now, the sentence could be written, Jesus, commander of disease, please have the same mercy on us as you have had on others. Because they knew that Jesus was healing people. Luke 17, 14 says, he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, the leprosy disappeared. Now, leprosy was incurable. And yet Jesus cured them. Who are you praying for that's been given a bad diagnosis? Maybe in man's eyes, it's incurable. God can heal anyone. And how many know that God still is in the business of healing? But it requires us to pray for them, that God intervenes. These guys cried out with faith, Jesus, please heal me. It's incurable. No one can do it. Doctors can't do it. We're ostracized. You are my last hope. 
please heal me. If Jesus doesn't change, then shouldn't we expect him to have the same mercy on those to whom we are praying? We know of some folks that are going through some bad situations. I mean, horrible disease. And we're praying that God does a miracle in their life that heals them. And they're believing too. They're Christians. And they're trusting that God's gonna heal them. Now since all these 10 were healed, all of them had faith shown by their obedience. What did Jesus say? Go show yourself to the priest before they were, before they were healed. He said, go show yourself to the priest while they still had leprosy. And it's funny, in the Old Testament, God already made an arrangement. If you are actually healed of disease, go see the priest. So that was a law in the Old Testament. Jesus is referring to the law, saying, go check with the priest. So they believed, okay, he's gonna heal me when I see the priest. And they started walking away. So they trusted that God was gonna heal them. And on their way to the priest, stepping out in faith, somewhere along that path, maybe when they got there, maybe on their way, they were healed. Now it's different from the Old Testament example. Notice these guys, they went as soon as Jesus said, go see the priest, okay, we'll do it. We don't care, whatever you're saying, we'll do it. Notice what happened in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 5, Verse 10 says, but Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would surely come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, call in the name of the Lord and his God and heal me. Aren't the Abana River and Farfar River of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel put together? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. <laughs> you know, if God tells me to do something, I'm not gonna argue with that. Go, get, you wanna be healed? Do this. Okay, dude, I'm going. And this guy got upset because he doesn't wanna do it. If God says he's gonna do something, I don't care how he does it, but I know he's gonna do it. With this property thing, I have no idea what God has in store but I know that God's gonna do it. One way or another, God's gonna be involved in this. Maybe God's saying to you, go to the doctor and he'll give you something to heal you. No, no, I want God to do a miracle. I'm gonna stay in this bed and just not do anything, let God heal me. No, God says, go to the doctor, get the medicine, and then you'll be healed. Don't be like Naaman who thought of Elisha should have done it by waving his hand and using a different river and all this different method. God says, do something, I'm gonna do it. And I'm thinking these guys are having a party on the way to see the priest. Jumping for joy, high-fiving each other, man, we're healed, this is awesome. Now they can go back to their families and go back to work they can go back to playing golf. They can go back to watching football with their friends. They can do whatever they want to do because God healed them. And if I'm healed or God does a similar miracle for me, guess what? I'm celebrating too. Because this instance is a bona fide miracle of healing. They had a disease incurable except by God. Mankind has a disease that's incurable except by God. How many know what that is? Sin. Sin. 
If you have been saved and God has forgiven you of your sin, you should not only be celebrating, but you should be thanking God for his mercy, that God took time with you. How many of us do that? We had a gentleman in our old church, and every time we would have testimony night, every time his first sentence would be, I'm thanking God that he saved me. And if we don't have that, we don't have anything else. Thank God that he saved me. Think about where you were before you came to Christ. Looking back on that, where would you be now had you not been saved? And how many of you, the, you, the, the minute you heard the gospel, you came running to the altar? More often than not, you didn't. You turned away from God and God kept having mercy on you and kept drawing you and saying, come on, come on. And finally, you accepted Christ. What's our, what have we been praying for those on the cross? That God is long-suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We're praying for people that God is long-suffering with. But you know what? God was long-suffering with you. How many times could God have said, okay, I'm, I'm done with that guy. I'm done with her. I've given them multiple opportunities, and you know what? No more. But God didn't do that. God kept drawing you. God kept wooing you. God kept telling you how much he loved you, and finally, you believed it. And for that, every day we should be thankful that God saved me. Or doubt if you've been a Christian long enough, do you take that day for granted? Well, I've been saved for 30 years. Do you know what? Well, yeah, you're saved for 30 years. Thank God that God saved you 30 years ago. Or what would have happened in these past 30 years? Luke 17, 15 says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, I'm healed. He fell face down on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. So if this is a representative sampling 10% of believers are thankful for what God's done for them. How many of us are thankful no matter what is going on in your life or what is going on in the world? Now, we had a disappointing election a couple weeks ago. Are you thankful that God's in control? Are you thankful that we still live in a great country? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Most times be joyful. Pray occasionally. It says always be joyful. Keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How many pray for God's will? God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? There it is. This is God's will for you, pretty plain. Always be thankful. I'm going to read an excerpt from an article by Calvin Miller. He says, I once sat down with a missionary couple in Costa Rica who obviously were living on a shoestring. I studied the very meager, meager table as we sat down. As the host said grace, he pray, his prayer swelled with such gratitude over God's abundance that I was tempted to open my eyes to peek and see if there was something on the table that I had missed. I had missed nothing. It was not what was on the table that really produced gratitude. but because of his Christian gratitude was a way of life. In other words, this missionary couple was 
had very little food, but they were praying with such gratitude for God's blessing upon them. And I imagine that every table is going to be just overflowing with food in a couple of days. More food than we can eat in a week. And how many people don't have anything to eat? Are we thankful for what God gives us? Yeah, prices are higher. It costs more. But you're eating. You still have food. Luke 17, 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? This only this foreigner returned to give glory to God. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You would have thought that all 10 would come back to thank him. But it all appears they were too busy with their blessing. Now, I understand getting caught up in the blessing and God wants us to be thankful for the blessing. But how about we thank him for what we have? And I've used this example before. Christmas time or birthday time when you you buy your kids a lot of presents and what happens is they open each gift and they open it so fast they move on to the next gift and they open it fast and move on to the next gift without being thankful or appreciative of the first gift they got. They instantly want to jump to the second, instantly want to jump to the third. How about being thankful for the one gift you had? Remember when we were kids, we we didn't have a a ton of money and and I was probably six or eight years old and my dad my mom, they bought, for Christmas, they bought us, at the time, it was a big reel-to-reel tape deck. And it was, you know, electronic equipment and all this nice stuff. Man, we were, this is like awesome. And like three or four days later, we come back to play with it, and it's gone. And we said, Where, where'd it go? And they said, well, we just took it back. We wanted you to be excited the day you opened it, and we took it back. I'm like, Notice, we didn't come back to it the right next day. We, it was like three or four days later, we're looking for it. So how thankful f- were we that we wanted to play with it instantly that they just took it back? God wants us to be thankful for what we have, or you know what? God's going to take it back. <laughs> Think of the providence for these guys. The providence of God in their healing. It wasn't just a one-time thing. God had to set everything up for it to happen. God had a, Jesus actually had to be in their vicinity. He could have been anywhere, but he was right there. He could have been miles away. And since they couldn't go into any populated area, the chances of meeting him were very slim. But he was right in their area, right where, and close enough that they could call out to him and hear, and him hear them. Jesus actually heard them since they were, the Bible says, a distance away. You know, he could have been talking with his disciples. He could have been when there was a lot of noise. Not only were they in the right place at the right time, they were able to speak in such a way that over the distance, Jesus still heard them. He showed them love and mercy, and he could have just ignored them. Lepers were people to be shunned, and they ignored. He could have said, you know, I'm not, you know, they're lepers, can't be near them, and he could have walked away. These guys asked for mercy, not sure if they actually meant mercy to be healed or just someone to care about them. They didn't say heal me. They said have mercy. Maybe they just wanted some human contact. Maybe they wanted to talk to Jesus. But Jesus does the impossible and he heals them. 
when we look at our lives and see the blessings that we have, do we see the providence of God in providing for us? How many things have to line up to get what we have, the blessings that we have? And I made a short list. I mentioned this one. God took time waiting for you to repent. God had you in the right place at the right time to hear the gospel and be saved. God orchestrated events in your life to make you willing to listen. God gave you the abilities you have to allow you to do the job that you do. God gave you your spouse or God gave you the gift of singleness. God allowed you to have children or he allowed you to choose your child through adoption. And the list could go on and on. We should be thankful for the things in our life, and I mean everything. The Bible says in James, whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above. What in your life is good and perfect, God gave it to you. You may think you have earned it, you may think you have worked for it, but God gave you the ability to do that. Just like the song we sang, everything we have from the very breath we breathe and the ability to even get up in the morning to the bed we sleep on because God gave it to us. God allowed us to have it. I don't know why, but on Thursday and Friday, I woke up with that last song ringing in my head. You ever wake up with a song in your head and you're like, where did it come from? I kept singing that verse. Thanks very much for that. It kept ringing all day through my head. So I guess God wanted me to understand that. Verse 17, Jesus says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Now, where do you suppose they went? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm kind of thinking they didn't forget about the disease and they probably remembered how miserable their lives were. It says they went to the priest, but one guy came back to Jesus before he went to the priest. The nine followed the law. The one guy realized the grace of God. The nine were declared clean by the priest. This one guy was declared right with God. Verse 19 says, and Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. The word literally means your faith has saved you. It's the same phrase that Jesus used when he's talking to the woman who anointed his feet. In Luke 7:50, it says, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Are you thankful for the faith that you have that saved you? How many have heard the expression, first world problems? First world problems, you know, we kind of mean it as a joke. And it's a, it's a joke about what we complain about. My phone is dead. My battery's dead. First world problem. My cable went out at home. I can't, get, I can't watch TV. First world problem. I can't get online. First world problem. These are things that 90% of the world wouldn't understand as a problem. 
When we complain about things, we are showing our ingratitude or a lack of thanksgiving for what God has given us. You ever give someone a gift and they complain to you about the gift you gave them? I really didn't want this. I wanted something else. They're just... Another example, Tony Campolo. How many remember who he is? Been around for a while. Tony Campolo said that as he was eating a meal in Haiti, he started to pick up his fork and eat when he glanced to the window, which was near his table. He saw the faces of little hungry Haitian children, faces pressed against the glass, watching him eat, mesmerized. For a moment, he said, I had this awful feeling of guilt and sat poised, not knowing whether to eat or not. Then the waiter stepped over and said, sir, don't let this bother you. And he pulled back the blinds. I laid down my fork, unable to eat the meal. Campolo said, it's so like the American culture to forget to thank God for what we have, to pull the blinds and forget that we are part of the 6% of the world that has enough continually to eat again and again and again. And he concludes with the verse, enter his courts with praise, enter his gates with thanksgiving. How many of your kids have ever said to you, that's not fair? What they mean is we're not doing for them what they want us to do when they want us to do it. And how many complain that God is not fair? And that means that God isn't doing for me what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Rather than having an attitude of gratitude, we have a complaining attitude. That we're not getting exactly what we want, when we want it, how we want it, in the manner we want it. Habakkuk tells us how we should be grateful in verse, chapter 3, verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossom and there is no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, I will complain to the Lord. What's it say? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. If God takes everything from us, are you still joyful in the God of your salvation? How was Habakkuk able to write this? What was going on that he was thinking about this? Habakkuk 1-2 says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see this sin and misery all around me? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and useless, and there is no justice given in the courts. The wicked outnumber the righteous, and justice is perverted with bribes and trickery. He's talking about how wicked Israel was. Verse 5 says, Look at the nations and be amazed. Watch and be astounded at what I will do. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians to, to be a new power on the world scene. They are a cruel and violent nation who will march against the world and conquer it. They are notorious for their cruelty. <laughs> There's encouragement for you. Israel's wicked beyond belief Habakkuk's complaining about it, and God says, I'm going to take care of it. But it's not going to be in the way that you like. I'm going to raise up this nation, and they are going to come in, and they are going to punish you. 
And in spite of all this, he knows what's coming. Habakkuk was still thankful. Not for what he didn't have, but for what he did. He had a relationship with the Lord. And for him, that was enough. His attitude, in spite of what was happening and what was going to happen, was being grateful. Grateful that he had a relationship with God and that God would be his ultimate savior. Jesus asked that one leper where the other nine were. Doesn't say. But we assume the answer could be something like this. Lord, I don't know where the other nine have gone. I only know that I've received healing and not to praise you is a sin and I must not condone that. I have been loved, I am clean, I will enter your gates with thanksgiving. I will come into your courts with praise. Don't worry about other people who are ungrateful. Worry about us. Am I grateful? Right now we're in a church building that has heat, free from the elements, and we're probably all gonna have a nice lunch. Are you one of the one who is grateful for that? Or are you of the nine that is grateful, that is ungrateful? Are you truly thankful? Think about what you have, not about what you don't have. Because I can guarantee it will be a lot worse. It can be a lot worse than what we're facing right now. You look at any third world country. We did a series on Revelation a while ago, and we mentioned in that series that America is not mentioned in Revelation. We have no idea what's going to happen with this country in the years to come. If it continues to go south and God puts judgment on us, are you still grateful? Israel was wallowing in the blessings that God gave them and ignored him and were horrible people in spite of the blessings they had. And God says, enough's enough. I'm gonna take those from you. The things that God gives us are a blessing and we need to treat them as blessings and gifts from God and be thankful for every single one of them. Not complain about the ones that we don't have because there's always something that we don't have that we want. The Bible says we're to be content in the situation in which we're called. Are you content with what God's given you? It doesn't mean you don't work harder and do that, but are you content? If God doesn't give you one more thing, are you content with what you have? Are you content with your salvation? If God takes everything from you, are you content with your salvation? Or does your life change if God takes everything from you? There was a movie out years, I'll close with this one. There was a movie out years ago called Trading Places. Oh, so you all know that movie, okay. What happens was this really rich guy, and he had a really poor guy, and other people caused them to switch places. And the really rich guy became poor, everything was taken from him. And his whole character and countenance and everything changed. He became wicked. Because, simply because everything was taken from him. Now it's a comedy, I don't, it's a rough comedy, I wouldn't recommend it, it was just, I saw this way back in early 80s before I came to Christ, so 
I don't recommend you seeing it, but the, the premise of the movie is his whole character changed simply because the things he had was taken from him. And he became a thief, he became a criminal, he became just a wicked guy because everything was taken from him. If everything is taken from you, do you still remain the same person? Do you still love God? Do you still have faith? Do you still have joy? And are you still thankful for what God's given you? Not for what you may have or have not. Just thankful that God saved you, that God loves you, and God's gonna take care of you no matter what it is. Are you thankful? Would you stand for a moment? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? I mentioned at the beginning that the greatest thing we should be thankful for is, is salvation, for the moment in our life where God finally got a hold of us. The Bible says, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the first verses I ever memorized. And you realize what that means. It means while you wanted nothing to do with God, you wanted nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with eternity, at that moment, Christ still died for you. When Jesus went on the cross, he said to the people that were actually doing the crucifying, he said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And before we come to Christ and before God's able to get a hold of us, we don't know what we're doing. We think we're doing everything right, but in reality, we really don't know. And the Bible says God is long-suffering. That means he's doing everything he can to make you understand that he loves you and cares for you. He's allowing things in your life. The Bible says the goodness of God brings people to repentance. And that means all the things that God has blessed you with should cause you to realize that the God of the universe is blessings, pouring blessings upon you. And maybe sometimes it's the other way. That God takes those blessings from you in order for you to understand. It's not the blessing. He wants to get you in a place where you need him. So maybe you're here today and you've, you're in one of those two extremes. You have so many good things in your life that you, you forgot that God gave or maybe you're going through a difficult time in your life and things are just seem like they're going, their south, they're going south and you need someone beyond yourself to help. And the Bible says God's available for both extremes and everywhere in between. The Bible says before we come to Christ, we're all sinners. We're all, we're all short in God's, God's sight. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, the Bible says. In other words, we can't make it to heaven on our goodness. But the Bible also says that Jesus came and paid the penalty that we should have paid and took our sin from us, took it on his own self, suffered the cross so that we could be free from the guilt of the sin we've committed. Now the Bible says to those who receive him, it doesn't apply to, it's offered to everybody, but it only applies to you if you receive it. Bible says, as many as receive this, did he give the power or the authority to be called children of God? You're only a child of God if you accept God's free gift. It's free. 
but it wasn't cheap. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. In other words, the knowledge went from your head where you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, to your heart where you realize that your only entrance into heaven, your only entrance into a relationship with God is through Jesus. So if you're here and you've never made that commitment, you can't look back on a time in your life where you said, you know what, yes, I'm a sinner, I need Christ to save me. If that's you, you're not here by accident, you're not here by your own choosing, to be honest with you. You're here because God put you here because he wants you to hear that he loves you and cares for you. He wants you to have that relationship. He wants you to have what most of us here have. The thankful heart simply because of what God did for me. So if that's you and you want to have that same peace, I want you to raise your hand. That's why you're here. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. And we are thankful, thankful, thankful people. This season's gonna get busy. Help us to keep our minds focused on you. When we sit down to eat on Thursday with our family, help us to be thankful for our family, for the food we have, for the relationship we have with you. Help the whole day to be not stressful, but to be walking an attitude of gratitude the entire day, living in joy because of our thankful heart. So Father, I just commit each person to you and I pray your blessing upon them this season. And as we get into the Christmas season, Father, help us again to focus upon you and not everything around you. So Father, fill us with your spirit. Allow us to realize how much you love and care for us and help us to be thankful for the blessings you've poured in our life. So Lord, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanksgiving Eve service is Wednesday. We'll have live worship. Not a track. Live worship. It's going to be a time of Thanksgiving. <laughs>